<clears throat> Welcome to the Backpack Show. We're very professional. We're going to talk about professional businessy things today. Business well, success will bring you insights into success from unusual places. Yes, Welcome we're talking to, to a very business successful person, Andrea Jones Roy, today. Uh, she's very important, and we need to know some very. I don't know. What do you she's a social scientist, a comedian, mm. a circus performer, PhD. She's really smart. So we're going to talk to her about complexity and social science and the meaning of life. I think and the only reason she started with complexity <laughs> is because she has like 806 jobs. Like she wouldn't have to be complex if she just stayed in a lane. You well, know, be, maybe she can't. Maybe she needs the stimulation. Be a pretzel like, or yell at people. How many times have you choices. completely reinvented your business? You're not the boss of me. Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz welcoming you to The Backpack Show. Your hosts, Chris Brogan, Kerry Gargone, Boom Shakalaka. Backpack Show. Guess what? Your mom's here. Monkey butt. Hi, my mom. Hello, my dad. See you next week. So, that Yay. reminds me, Carrie will be hosting the show solo on Monday because I'll be in an airplane. I'll be on a big old jet airliner, some would say. If you tell people that, maybe they won't come because maybe they come only for you. That's not accurate. <laughs> you know, they come for guests like Andrea. Well, before you bring Andrea out, we have to mention that we are sponsored by StreamYard. And if you want to do a show just like this, it's very easy to do. Just go to seabrogan.me slash StreamYard and you have all the same buttons and options we have. And a duck picture for good right. measure. There you go. Hey, have you ever wanted to do an audio <laughs> podcast? You can. Go to castos.com. They'll put your peas in a pod. Um, castos.com is an incredible podcast host. They're swell. My friend Matt Medeiros works there. That's why we use them. You host it's your fun. audio files there, and they syndicate them all the places. And it is stupid easy. Set it up. It goes. You're everywhere. You're everywhere. MasterCard is. Oh, um, let's do <laughs> just those two, right? Because we'll do the other ones later. Mm -hmm. uh, we have this Andrea Jones. Andrea Roy Jones Roy. Mm -hmm. Alphabet. She is creator, a character. That sort of thing. Oh, and I hear your cat. I have nothing I can do for that. <laughs> that is, uh, there's a challenge going on in the house, and the cat is either dead silent or super loud. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Feline invasion. I repeat, we have a feline invasion. Chris, hold very still. Do not turn your head. For the love of Pete, don't turn your head. Oh, the humanity. Oh, let's, we need Andrea. She needs to sort us out. I just fed her a blend of ocean white fish and tuna. Uh, so that's what I'm saying to you. I don't know. Maybe so it's too much. It's a pate. Oh. All right. Andrea. You made, you made it sound really Hello. fancy. You just like <laughs> cracked a can of something. Well, here. you know, I don't know if you know this because Andrea, I don't think I pray is not a cat person because I don't mean to be. Um, they're putting like vegetables and stuff in cat food now. Were you aware of this? I was not, but I am glad you invited me here to talk about this because I have opinions. <laughs> really, I, want, I want to know what you think because they yeah. uh, salmon and then they threw spinach in it. And I'm thinking, wow. I don't think cats are really concerned about spinach. What do you think? I mean, I'm extremely biased. I did not expect to start this way, but I'm vegan. Hold your applause. So I'm very into secretly making cats vegan as well and totally ignoring their biology. So I'm fine with it. I'm actually the one behind it. I started a company that puts spinach in cat food. <laughs> you should just put spinach in all the food. I mean, why yeah. are you so discriminatory that you only do cats? That's true. Yeah, I figured I'd start with cats because they're the most evil, and then I'd go from You're there. Social scientist that's pretty small-minded. What came first, the, <laughs> the circus or the social science? <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, the cat food. Um, <laughs> what came first? 
The circus, sort of. I did dance growing up and was very convinced I would not be a scientist and was not a STEM person. But then I went to grad school and in grad school for social science, I was losing my mind and found circus, which kept me sane. So, so it depends on if you want to count dance as a circus, which I just got a lot of people on the internet angry. You know, people say running away with the circus is insane. So that's interesting right. to me. Yes, yes. It helps yeah, running away with a PhD program is way more insane. <laughs> a ridiculous way to spend one's 20s, I have to say. It's a strange choice for sure. I was thinking that same thought. So it's funny that that's where Carrie went, you know, is which came first, because you have, you have quite the, um, you have quite the still life uh, when you look at all the various parts of you, who do you identify as most, you know, if, if, if you can only bring one of these things to speed dating, what do you take out? <laughs> I got to get my therapist on this call. This is useful. I, uh, that's a good question. It, I really could only bring one. There could be only one. There can be only one. I would probably start with social scientist then. I think that most informs how I think about things and bore people at cocktail parties that I don't attend. Like that's, I think the leading one, but you I would know, be pretty you know, quick acrobat to sneak that would get in. you a lot more taste. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I want someone I can talk about bounded rationality with, you know? So I think, yeah. Oh, Chris, let's talk bounded rationality. Yes, finally. <laughs> now, do you use hemp for that or do you use nylon? What, what kind of binding do we use before we make people choose to be more rational? <laughs> yeah, yeah, full hemp all the way. Okay. Yeah, straight from Canada. Okay. I know that's a geopolitical comment. Sorry about that. Canadian hemp. Yeah. It's a good band name as well. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Andrea, what, what are, what's the prevalent? Who are you fighting right now? That's the question. I have. Who am I fighting? Yeah, you know, politics, that's what we do, we fight, right? Yeah, that's true, we do fight. I, I am fighting people who think they are not mathematically minded and the false divide between people who think they're scientists and artists, that's what I'm fighting. Ooh, so you think scientists actually have more artists in them than they realize and vice versa? Exactly. Mm. Like I literally, I saw my cousin for the first time and, you know, since before the pandemic. And she was like, oh, I'm not a STEM person. I don't know anything about numbers. It has nothing to do with my life. And I was like, it has everything to do with your life. So that made me angry. And now I'm thinking about that all the time. Next part of those sentences, why? Because I, I do math when I calculate tips. Right. And I do math when I find out that if I paid the bill sooner, it would cost less. That's all I got. Help me with some math. What am I mathing? Right. So basically, anytime you read the news and there are numbers in the news or statistics or trends or probabilities, you're mathing. And I grew up thinking I was not a math person. And it took going to a social science program literally by accident. Think I thought I was going to write essays about war and peace and so on. And instead, they were like, here are two years of matrix algebra. It was horrible, right? But it beat it into my brain that it's a kind of logical thinking. And science is all about if then thinking and hypothesis testing. And it's much less about knowing facts or being good on Jeopardy or something like that. So it's a way of thinking. It is sort of philosophical that I think is very useful and everyone should know. So you know how to interpret, you know, numbers that Dr. Fauci throws around and, you know, people have interpreted those in all kinds of ways, as you might be aware. You sure have. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you mentioned the pandemic and being out of touch with people, I felt like I have to put your Instagram up because <laughs> your pandemic Instagram posts got to be really interesting. So. They're real weird. Yeah. yeah. You can see I'm sitting in the, in the same spot in my kitchen. I did take the knives down for the purposes of this show. It tends to intimidate people on morning shows, but uh, it does look a little if this like... is an evening show, I'll put those knives right back up for you. I mean, we've done backpack show after dark, so we could have the knives. Nice extra for that 
These pictures where I'm spelling the letters were my uh, contortion coach, whose name is Jonathan Noson. You can follow him on at Contorture on Instagram. He's based in Israel at Contorture. Yeah. He's based in Israel and did a Zoom classes. So that's what the kind of stuff he forced us to do in the pandemic. You know, the pandemic's bad when you're doing that stuff on purpose at home by yourself. Well, then you were also doing this like extreme cleaning. Yes. (laughs) I would yell at my kids for doing this. My boyfriend left town for about a month and we'd been, you know, literally staring at each other for the year. And the minute he left, I think my therapist and I have a lot to unpack. I just cleaned the entire place really insanely. And so that uh, that vent looks awesome, by the way. It was a mess. Well, possibly, you know, he's just very messy. And that was your first opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm revealing my politics further down. We can't, you know, social scientists are unbiased. So never mind. (laughs) (laughs) And you have a whole podcast where you talk with uh, pe- with politicians, right? Is that the idea? With political scientists. Political scientists. Political scientists. So people who study politicians for a living, basically. Wow. So my who, whole, who would yeah. choose such a life? Right? <laughs> a lot of people ask us if we are... So my PhD is in political science. Um, and people would always ask, are you training to be a politician? And the answer is, does it seem like any of the politicians have advanced degrees in any of this? <laughs> so... Uh, no, but we study politics, right? We study things like power and truth and representation. And my favorite thing in all of the social sciences is trying to turn abstract stuff into numbers. And so political science does a lot of that. You know, those economists have it easy because they're just counting things like money. It's easy to count. How do you count trust in government? Ah, Elizabeth. Yes. Agreed. So your, your comment about like, does it look like any of those people have advanced degrees? This has been on my mind a lot because okay. we, we, in a really uh, uh, narrow band thing, every time a politician talks about technology, I grate my teeth mm. because it's like, you know, Gramps who has a blinking 12 on his VHS <laughs> telling me, you know, that he thinks he understands the Internet. Yeah. Uh, and he's in charge of regulating it or whatever, like making policies about it. Right. So what do they have to have? They, they have to have money and they have to be really good at networking at parties. Is that it? Like, is that the, the sum total of what makes our politicians and that's why we're all broken? I think that's a pretty good summary. I mean, there's, there's a little bit more to it, but basically, yeah, think about the people that you're voting for, right? You're voting for someone who sounds good and may, probably looks good. And there's a lot of biases baked into whether or not someone seems electable or like a leader to you and all of that kind of stuff. And then it's connections, right? You have the money to get elected uh, and you can tell a good story. In my personal view, I don't really care if someone is a, they're really marketers at this point. And there's a lot of political science research that says that politics has effectively become a big marketing exercise. But I don't mind that so much as long as those people are then willing to listen to experts. The problem is, is that once you get into office, you're on a power trip and you say, well, I know how to regulate the internet and the environment or not regulate those things. And that makes me nervous. So the, pro- the other problem, how much time do you have? The other problem, right? You think about, well, where do they get their information, right? There's a professor of political science at the University of Michigan. His name is Rick Hall. He wrote a book called Lobbying as Legislative Subsidy. And one of the ideas there is that lobbyists, yes, they have a lot of problems and there's a lot of conflict of interest, but they're also providing information to legislators who otherwise don't know about the things that the lobbyists are representing. And so it's a kind of information source for legislators. The problem is there's a lot of corruption and money mixed in. So yeah, it's all, pre- and then and then put a big icing of social media on top and that's American politics. <laughs> well, that's now that I've explained thing. the entire world, what else? Yeah, we can go to black holes. So what are you actively researching now? So I research 
power and politics in the corporate context. And so I do a lot of research on how people evaluate performance in companies. And so I take a lot of the political science stuff and I apply it to the corporate world, which is basically a dictatorship. And so everything that lies, <laughs> like we, I studied uh, dictatorships and censorship and Chinese politics in my graduate program. And I'm literally applying those things to companies and telling them what they're doing wrong. So how to be a, how to be a better dictator? That's right. Yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna cult. say, Chris, you need to read this research. I mean, yeah. I've always wanted to start a cult, and then right after that, probably mm. dictatorship. I think both have some value. There's another good book. I'm just gonna keep plugging plugging political science. There's another good book called by Bueno de Mesquita et al. Uh, called the Dictator's Handbook. So Chris, you know, you could just pick up that. You're probably already doing most of it. Did you say Bueno de Mesquita? Bueno de Mesquita. Oh, so like good mosquito. Basically, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. Handbook. Yeah, <laughs> the dictator's handbook. That's... Why bad behavior is almost always good politics. There you go. Now I feel like I have to show mm, everybody that. <laughs> I did not expect me talking about this book as well. <laughs> I need to know more. So There's an undergrad more. textbook version that we used to. Notice it says almost always. Every now and again, we have a little bit of hope. Andrea, a lot of people think they're funny, but they're not. And, <laughs> you know, there is a real difference between like honing and putting together the skills to actually do comedy. Where did that come in? And how did you start to take it beyond, you know, just being funny? Comedy beyond being funny. I always wanted to do comedy. I loved comedy growing up. I had a car when I was in high school. How far back do you want me to go? I'm going to go to high school. But I was born on a Tuesday just to link Good that dinner. up. Good yep. In high school, I wrote, I drove this crappy car that was like someone handed down to my parents basically. And the radio didn't work when it rained or was about to rain or had just rained like humidity. Kind of, so I would just listen to the Jerry Seinfeld. I'm telling you for the last time on tape. Cause I'm a thousand years old and I learned it enough to just say it along with it. Like people sing to songs and it was just burned into my head that stand up comedy was the ultimate exercise in like brilliance and understanding the world. And I just loved it. I was also too afraid to do it, so I did improv for 10 years and was horrible at it. Uh, and I eventually, when I moved to China to, to teach at NYU Shanghai, and I joined a circus out there, in China, I finally got the courage to do it because I was like, if it goes horribly, I can literally leave this hemisphere. And so that's what got me to finally try it. And then it was so hard that I quit for a year after I did it five times and was horrible every single time. And then it bothered me so much. Basically, it's a story of uh, a war of attrition and misery, but... <laughs> but now I like it. But now you is like that it. inspiring? Yeah, if you're, you're going to hate it, yeah, <laughs> then you're going to be mad at yourself, and then you're going to keep going. I was just thinking what it takes to be bad at uh, improv. It's just like no but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I learned, I figured out I was bad because a friend of mine is, is an actor, and she was so excited I was doing improv. Uh, I did it here in New York City, and she was like, whoa, what kind of characters do you typically do? And I was like, characters? I was like, I stand really still with my arms crossed and talk in a monotone. And then I was like, maybe I'm in the wrong genre of comedy because there's another one where you can do that and it works a little bit better. So what's that one called? Yeah, <laughs> it's called, <laughs> yeah, it's called performance art. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think a lot of people during the, the whole pandemic thing, we're all locked in and just sitting with ourselves. Mm. I had this kind of existential crisis going on. Did you discover the meaning of life or anything like mm. really I profound? Nothing too profound. I kind of gave up on everything and I can't decide if that's good or really, really bad. Like, I don't, I mean, I think I've read others have done this too. I haven't actually spoken to anyone because who needs to speak to anyone, but it was 
surprisingly nice because I was doing comedy and circus and running around and weekends were busier than weekdays and evenings I was never home, et cetera, et cetera. And it was actually sort of nice to just sit on my couch and play Tetris on my phone. I got super good at it, by the way. And I was my phone thinks I'm in Jersey City. I'm not in Jersey City, but it would give me my rankings for my Tetris in Jersey City. So I have broken the top 100 in Jersey City. Hold on to your hats, everyone watching. That's where you know me from. Congrats. Yeah. But <laughs> I really came to like the slower, quieter pace. And I don't know whether going back into the real world, I'm like, okay, that was fun. But now back to like the grind and making it all happen. Or I'm just like, I don't know. I kind of enjoy the things I'm doing and things are fine. And I don't know if that's the meaning of life or not, but maybe it's to enjoy the moment. I don't know. Couch and play Tetris. <laughs> but to sit on your couch and play Tetris. I got so good at it. And outrank people in Jersey City. Oh, take that, that's Jersey it. City. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like beating somebody at something. <laughs> yeah. Life's worth yeah. living. Yeah. I used to want to be like on Netflix, and now I just want to break the top 50 in Jersey City. So brace <laughs> yourselves. I just had this this vision of you like changing apartments after a while so that you could get to new ranking zones and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you just get a VPN and like change where things that's you true. are. See, oh, this is, yeah. that's helpful. I'm learning a lot from the show already. That's what I'm going to do. I'll dominate <laughs> local Tetris rankings. Sophia Belgaria, you've got it. You know, you're yeah. still in there. Yeah. Uh, back to, you know, the blend of you and complexity and the like. The, what is the thread? Where's where's the Andrea thread that you go? But you don't you see this? This is what these all have in common. Mm-hmm. Duh! What is yeah? That? I have been trying to find that thread for a long time, and well, before that, I tried very much to be like, am I going to go into continue in social science? Am I going to do circus? And then, am I going to do comedy? Like, which one will I pick? Like, which of the three paths? And I would try each one full time, and they would never quite work. So it was this like moment where one day, oh, that's a depressing page. That's mid pandemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, I'm going to take that down, but it's actually pretty, pretty appropriate. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just like, I'm going to do all three, and that's going to be that. I think the common thread maybe is trying to turn chaotic stuff into order. I like that stand-up is about taking the whole messy world and saying like, this sentence is gonna put a whole bunch of those things into one line and you're gonna like, it's gonna make sense. It's hopefully gonna be funny, but it's, that's what stand-up, the stand-up I love does that. It's like, here's a whole messy thing going to the store. Here's one sentence that's gonna line it all up in this awesome way and you're gonna see how absurd it is. Science is the exact same thing. Social science taking all the messiness of the world and putting it into (laughs) spreadsheets or, structured interviews or whatever. And then circus and contortion and fire, it's absolutely taking the wildest stuff, the human body, anti-gravity, you know, fire and things like that, and then dominating them, man, you know? I have 3,000 things still to ask, but you gotta hang on, we have to do a 60 second ad read, so sit by. You should hang out with us while we do ads. Don't go anywhere. Boop, no, I'm putting her backstage. She'll throw uh, throw me off my rhythm. Oh. Sorry. Little Jamalini moment. I meant to right. Hey, you want to search up things like you want to look where Andrea does her circus and all that? I you do. can go to something like PreSearch. PreSearch.com is a search engine, but it's not Google. You could stick it to the man by using PreSearch. Won't that change your life? Ooh, diggity. PreSearch.com. You get uh, crypto coins if you remember to log in like I don't. <clears throat> 
I feel hey. like people should do, go back and check out that pre-search episode we did with Colin Pape because he explains like why he started it is because Google purposely de like what do you call it? Stuffed him. They didn't de-index, but they like pushed a bunch of pages way back because they wanted to promote their own stuff. So just saying, there's a good story behind pre-search and it's a business worth supporting. Pre-search.com. <sighs> do you have some money? Do you, would you like to turn it into more money? Want to make more money? While supporting Michael causes Reynolds you care about and being has... environmentally responsible? Oh, are you reading it today? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm stop talking. Go. No, I don't want to throw you off your rhythm. Go ahead. You already did. Well, sorry. Get back on it. Do you hear my beads? Sure do. Elevation Financial, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. ElevationFinancial.com. It's all 50 states. Michael Reynolds has a cool thing going on here. He can help you make money, but he has socially conscious uh, products. So he's looking at, you know, I want to help you make money, but not through like selling candy and tobacco to kids. You know, so he's the oh whole plan is holistic financial planning, <laughs> which also includes... ESG investing, which of course aligns your money with a positive impact in the environment and progressive social values. So ESG investing is kind of the way you want to look at this sort of a thing. You can get a free uh, complimentary, sorry, money session at elevationfinancial.com. Tell Michael Reynolds we sent you and he'll do something extra special. Like go, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> grab ourselves. Elizabeth uh, says she wants Andrea's coffee. She's enjoying her energy and she's awesome. I agree. It's purely the coffee. It's nothing to do with Andrea. You're so funny. You had to throw that in for kids, like like selling cigarettes to kids. <laughs> well, that's. I was thinking, what's a non-socially conscious guy? And it's probably a cigarette to kids. There's there's this great Saturday Night Live sketch with an Italian TV host, and he has John Bon Jovi on, and shows him an ad where they're using John Bon Jovi's music to sell cigarettes for kids, and he's so upset about it. And he's like, No, 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 not kids. Seven, eight men. <laughs> they're already grown. <sighs> sorry, Andrea, we can't have you on the show. We're going to talk about SNL. Here's some news kids. Shut up. Was that a Bill Hader? Because Bill Hader. Has yeah. <laughs> All right. That's the next question to Andrea. Andrea, who are some of your uh, comedy favorites? Besides I was Star like, questions about Bill Hader. First, thanks for the shout out on the coffee. Uh, I was telling you all before the show, it's reheated stale coffee from several days ago. So you have that's to my advice. My yeah. <laughs> I will send it. I will send it. Yeah, I'm too lazy to make. Anyway, I'll. That's that's the special way anyone can come by, and I'll give you reheated coffee. Mm. Yeah. So comedians. Um. I mean, it's so cliche. Uh. But Jerry Seinfeld was the first. Where the first time I heard it, I was just like, you can just do that. You can just go on stage and say things that are awesome and truth and blah. Um. John Hodgman is a big idol of mine. I don't know if we're John Hodgman people around here, but I think he's awesome and funny and weird. And I like his energy and I like his strange books. Um, I'm extremely into right now Tim Robinson. Are either of you Tim Robinson people? I think you should leave on Netflix. No, but no, okay. a lot more comedy yeah. than I do. He's, I'm not normally much of a sketch person, but he's a former SNL writer and occasional cast member. And he's so weird. And I just love the imagination that's in his show. And I don't write sketch. It's never occurred to me to write about anyone saying anything other than stuff from my own mouth. So like sketch doesn't cross my brain, but it's so exciting to watch someone just have the most wild ideas. And it feels liberating in my own work to be like, well, what unexpected or wild and crazy thing could I talk about? So everyone's freaking out about Bo Burnham, whatever, he's fine. Tim Robinson is the genre breaking comedian of art. <gasps> Hannah Gatsby obviously is next level. 
besides Seinfeld. Did I just offend, the- alienate no. everyone? <laughs> no, I mean, for one thing, I don't know a lot of those names, but Chris Ooh, does, I, and I can see he's like super into it. I, well, I know all of them, but what I was thinking is, you know, Seinfeld's like the inherited comic. You know, you found you found the tape, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but but with the rest of them, it's not that they can be weird. They have to be weird and cerebral. Mm-hmm. Which is the sort of thread that you have there. It's not like it's not Python. You know, you're not saying anything bad about Python, but it's not that. Oh, they it's, rule as well. Yeah. It's yeah. the thread of you know somebody like Hannah doing a Nanette and. Uh, you know, changing the world after that, so that all these other comedians had to have these conversations about if she's actually a comedian or not. And that's yeah, that's yeah. that's what you're in for. Yeah, I like I. You know, my a good friend of mine, uh, Turner Sparks, great comedian. Uh, we did comedy in China together. He and I discussed sometimes like what's the point of comedy, and he's much more on the side of. Oh, he's going to get mad at me for overstate oversimplifying his point, but it's it's supposed to make you laugh. If it makes you laugh, it's comedy. The end, right? And I think that's a necessary requirement, maybe even sufficient, but there's another element, I don't have a logical word for that, where I really like comedy that makes you think or serves a purpose or has some kind of agenda of some kind, right? Because I think it's a great vehicle to share other ideas. Do you get material for your comedy from the work you're doing trying to convince corporations to not be such dictators? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sure do. (laughs) I sign all the NDAs, so it's real vague, but I do talk about that kind of stuff. Um, I talk about the corporate world, and I really shouldn't, but I talk about teaching and how grim it can be. I like, well... well, Nobody can say anything, because then, like, you'd know, people would know it was them, so they have to just take it. (laughs) That's the best thing about it. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm a little surprised that Dave Chappelle wasn't on that list, especially because of politics. Just curious to know your take. So I'm a big Dave Chappelle fan. I think he's a genius as well. And anyone who can stand on stage and smoke cigarettes and talk for four hours and captivate audiences is next level human, right? I actually tend to not personally be so into political comedy. So like I'm a big John Oliver fan, Trevor Noah, but I don't regularly watch it. And I'm not sure if that's because I spend enough time in my life thinking and talking about politics professionally that it's kind of not a break for me. But the other thing about political science that I I like political science because it's about how that everyone's going to get bored, how, how people in power deal with other people and who gets power and who gets what resources and who has influence and who we listen to and all of that. I'm into that sort of like deeper structural stuff. I actually don't know a ton about like who my representatives are and what they stand for and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm actually a very uninformed voter and citizen. So I'm not particularly interesting when I talk about politics, as you can all see, and I'm not that interested in fact-based politics. I'm going to get fired from all my jobs. I'm not that interested in fact-based politics. Does that make sense? I'm like, absolutely. I, I, I mean, look at this crap behind me. This is this doesn't look like an election, right? But that's the kind of stuff I like. I don't even know what that is. I thought it was art. So it's the logistic map. You can look it up. I'll look it up. It's about so, deterministic chaos. It says you can't predict anything, even a wow. single equation, with no external inputs. Okay. But what about the theory that everything has already happened? Like time has already all happened, and it's not like a film strip. It's a big film reel, and there's mm. nothing that matters anyway because it's all predetermined. What did you finish, Loki? no spoilers (laughs) now we're getting to the meaning of life yeah and one day the tape's gonna pull off and that's gonna be when the sun burns out so (laughs) tape pulls off i don't know how movies work so where i was going uh right before we ducked ducked into you know the butterflies behind you the um 
you're into the, you're into the mechanisms in the systems mm. and the, and the, yes. and the, the, the material, not the actual subject matter. So Rob Hatch, who I work with in another project, he loves sports statistics. He does not love sports. Yes. It's like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, it's like, can we predict patterns in, I don't know anything about sports, but I'm going to try, right? <laughs> what is the, the increase in home runs in the, whatever, whatever league say about the way that we're playing the game, you know, uh, that for politics, right? Voter turnout and predicting it in the future, what drives voter turnout, what makes someone feel like they belong in a citizenship, blah, blah, blah. Like that, like, like it's like a level below, basically. It's like, here's, here's an analogy I thought of recently. Tell me what you think. Uh, meteorologists tell you the weather and people on the news tell you the politics. We political scientists are sort of like the climate scientists of politics. Like I can't tell you if it's going to rain tomorrow and I can't tell you who's going to necessarily win, but I can tell you the underlying forces to predict overall which way the trends are going to go. I and might when, have just insulted a lot hills. of climate scientists. <laughs> <laughs> when to get into your bunker and not come out right. again for a month. Right. Yeah. You know, if you could do those two things together, you could try to predict lightning strikes on politics. I think that would be- There we go. Ron Paul's going to get hit today. It's going to be tough. <laughs> Well, I used to work with uh, Harry Enton. I was at 538 for a little bit, and he's now at CNN and is a very big deal. But he's an elections forecaster, polls reader, and a meteorologist. So actually, he's probably the one to watch. He'll probably mm. do it. Yeah. I was making such a dumb joke. And no, he's actually like, someone who does that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. Carrie? Well... I was thinking that while you're analyzing how people use and misuse power in corporate settings, you must also be seeing how they gain influence in the first place. So is there, can you like distill it down? What's the formula for influence? <laughs> now I'm really going to get, get controversial. The, the main formula for influence these days, well, historically in the U.S. is be a white man who grew up in a certain class and is educated from a school that we all recognize what? and celebrate. Yeah. Ah, Chris, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> That's changing, hopefully, right? But a lot of those unconscious symbols and signals that we use to decide whether someone looks like a leader to me are the exact same unconscious symbols that we look at when we say this person looks like they could be my congressperson or my representative, right? That is hopefully changing and a lot of people are trying to change that, but that's a big part of it. One of the main things I think about, and I am eventually going to get fired from my job, I, so I, I teach at NYU and I spend a lot of time trying to convince companies to hire talented people who haven't necessarily gotten a fancy four-year undergraduate degree, but have acquired skills through other means. So I've partnered with an organization uh, called Opportunity at Work. They're great. And they are all about trying to get companies to evaluate talented people based on all kinds of other things. So it's kind of like trying to change that, that, that selection mechanism. Everyone's like, I want more diversity in the workplace, but they're all just selecting people who went to like Stanford Business School. Nothing at Stanford Business School, but let's mix it up, right? And so how do we expand what talent, what performance, what leadership looks like. And so I didn't want to get all identity politics, but that's where I, I spend a lot of my time thinking. Google and Tesla, amongst others, have started to say that they're not going to require degrees um, mm. as one of their criteria. So it's, awesome. it's starting to seem to change in the world. And I just finished reading a No Rules Rules with uh, Reed Hastings of Netflix, and he said that they're not super big on degrees as well. Oh, yeah. Opportunity work. So I know about this organization because my friend Papia Debroy is a, a classmate of mine from graduate school. So when she finished her PhD in political science, she went out into the real world right away. And so she's not working here and she rules. They might be hiring, actually. Who so, wouldn't want to work there? It's awesome. Yeah. They're all fabulous people. Super nice. Important work. Opportunity at work dot work. 
sweet. We'll look at that. Yeah. Oh, see you later, Elizabeth. Thanks for coming by the show. Really appreciate it. Bye. Elizabeth has a standing oh. meeting and we haven't been able to convince her work to change We've it. We've never had her play hooky in there. <laughs> That's crap. That's the kind of power structures we are here to overturn, right? That's right. These, these meetings that start. Yeah. So For we've no come to this reason. part of our show, by the way. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom! And it was pretty much a, a monologue for the entire day. So I could pick Elizabeth again, even though she was at yesterday, because she has <laughs> seven or eight out of the very sparse comments today. But, so I'm going to give it to Coach. Oh, so nice. Coach has been person of the day so many times we sent him a smoking jacket. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so... Coach Woodard. He doesn't uh, want it anymore. He's like, take me out of contention, but we do it anyway because we, we do it just to muck with him at this yeah. point. Uh, so we've come to the part of the show that we always ask the same question to every guest we've ever had, which is what goes in your backpack. Now, this could be something physical, it could be something metaphorical, it could be an avocado, or it could be world peace. Carrie, what's a good physical thing someone could have in their backpack? Mm, a book you hate. Because mm. if it's the only book you've got, eventually you'll read it and learn something from it. That was Whiskey Nate. Whiskey, whiskey Nate, who just sold his van, he's off the road. He used to go around like taking pictures of whiskey bottles on mountaintops and made his living that way off Instagram. And That's now awesome. he's settling in Wyoming now, so he just sold the van. Oh my gosh, I was wow. just looking at land in Wyoming. Maybe we'll be neighbors, Whiskey Nate. I think whiskey everyone's Nate. looking at land in Wyoming, uh, so <laughs> I'll see you there. I just had this conversation with a, a pizza delivery guy, well, a salad delivery guy, but he also delivers pizza. And the notion was... <laughs> I uh, want to know more about what this guy delivers. So. Between drought and floods. Yeah, uh, no, let me tell you what else he could deliver. Yeah. <laughs> menu. Chaos. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he's an agent of chaos. Uh, and then Deliverer of chaos. That's something awesome. Something metaphorical. Carrie, what's a metaphorical thing you put in a backpack? Oh, kindness. I mm. like kindness. That's a good one. Ariel held That's that a good pair with a book you hate. hate. Yeah. <laughs> That's my penance. I always say kindness because when she said it, I laughed in her face, but it was not because I thought kindness was a funny answer. It was holdover laughter from the one who had just been, gone before her. We had this wonderful guest, Andrea, and Carrie laughed in her face. For a, a reason. Bur a burlesque dancer, no The less. one right before nice. her was Nikki Porsche of Buy from a Black Woman, and we had just asked her what goes in your backpack, and she said Black women, and I'm like, I feel like that's not okay, right? Like so we then she realized what she said and then we like lost it and Chris is like, Come on, girls, let's get the show back on the road. And um it's a good impression. It's <laughs> we a really like good impression. Yeah. Big mess. Yeah. And that was it. And so then she she went first. Okay. And so then we still have another guest. And so we tried to pull it together and we're like, Okay, what goes in your backpack, Andrea? And she's like, kindness. And we're like, <laughs> lose it. and nikki's no help at all she loses it completely again They're all over again their head off all over this poor woman it's chris finally this ended the show I, I just stopped the show <laughs> like, all right that's it Pulling nothing more over. hilarious than a backbuck full of kindness that's what i would say so, so i say kindness yeah like i like it yeah and yeah. jones roy what yep. are you gonna add to the backpack so i thought I could think of something cooler, but I can't. So I am going to go with something that I wrote on a college application essay a million years ago. I did not get into this college. So this is my non-admission winning recommendation where they were like, what are three objects that you would always want to have with you? And I stand by it. So you're going to hear it first, except for these admissions people. Uh, a magnifying glass, because I think you always need to look closer at what's going on. A dictionary, because I think the words we use and having useful labels that are imperfect but still useful to understand abstract concepts is really important. And number three, a kazoo, because life is too serious and kazoos are weird and we should all remember to have fun as well. So those are my three items. And you didn't get in? 
No. I was waitlisted. And then on the night of prom, they sent a letter and my mom was so convinced that I got in and she was like, Andrea, before you go to prom, open this. And it was like <laughs> a rejection letter. <laughs> I'm still mad. My life would be way better if I'd gotten into that filthy school. This is why I'm on a campaign to end college for everyone. That's this literally all just comes to that. Just blow it all up. Yeah. I support your life choices in that Thank regard. Thank you. Thank I, you. It's definitely a way to go. Perfect. So, you know, my grandmother uh, never went to college. She worked in um, a mill. So you don't mm. normally need college to go to a mill. But right. one of the things she always told me that she had always entertained as a thought for college is if she went, the, the course that she'd probably have benefited the most from. I don't even know if that's the English word for 